0: Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. You've found the place where we talk horses. I'm your host, John Hare, and on today's show, we're gonna talk about emergency preparedness. California is in a bit of a drought. Fire season is around the corner. So I invited Julie Atwood, the founder director of the Halter Project on the show to talk about how we can best prepare for emergencies and disasters. Good morning, Julie, how are you?
1: Hi, John. I'm great. That was a great introduction. Thanks.
0: Well, thank you. So we're going to talk about emergencies and disasters. Maybe the first place we should start is what's the difference between an emergency and a disaster?
1: You are well prepared because we usually have to uh, have to launch into the fact that there is a difference. So very simply, um, an emergency is um, an emergency happens to you. And maybe uh, a couple of people around you. It's it's localized. It's in one place. And when we're talking about animals, especially horses, it might involve just one. Um, you know, if you're in a trail riding accident, or or you're on the road uh, on your way to a show and mm-hmm. you have um, an incident on the road, but it's it's local. It's it's minimal. It's over quickly, and you know exactly who to call to get help, and they usually get there fast. A disaster is big. It happens to a lot of people and animals. It covers a wide area, help may be a long time getting to you. And the people, the resources that are going to help you during a disaster are often um, not the same resources who are available to you in right. an emergency. Right. And so the preparation is different. You have to be ready for the emergencies that could happen any day, anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And those good disasters that sometimes we, we can prepare for ahead of time, and sometimes they happen without warning. And so that advanced prep for disasters and emergencies is equally
0: important. Right. Now, I'm a big proponent of if I prepare for an emergency or disaster, it just seems less likely to happen. And, and if it does happen, you get through it much easier. So what is the first thing that I need to know about preparing for an emergency?
1: You have to have more than one plan for everything. OK. Have more. It's like I would say it's like potato chips. You got to have <laughs> more than one. Right. So you absolutely must have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and keep going after that. More than one, more than two, ideally at least three plans for everything that you can think of that might happen.
0: Right. And so that means sometimes you're going to be uh, sheltering in place. Sometimes you're going to have to move those horses to another location and what are your recommendations there?
1: That's a really good place to start. It's a great example, and it's, it really is one of the biggest discussions we have when we're talking about equines and livestock. Um, am I going to evacuate? Am I not going right. to evacuate? How do I make that decision? And if the decision is to shelter in place, how do I ensure the best possible? outcomes for my animals and i always like to add to that that it's really important when we talked about making an evacuation plan we always talk about making your shelter-in-place plan and it's really critical to remember that shelter-in-place sometimes could be our only option mm-hmm. uh, and here in california big parts of the west and and other places earthquake is probably the best example of that. It's going to happen without any warning. And when it happens, we are not going anywhere. And very likely, no one's going to be able to get to us. So preparing our homes and our animal homes for as safe as possible, a shelter-in-place experience is really, really important. We start out by saying that Everything that you do to make your home safer is going Mm -hmm. to make your animal home safer. So we're talking about fire, for instance, that means creating defensible space, not just around your home and your barn and your outbuildings, but your pastures, your pens, your infrastructure. Um, Is your water going to be impacted? Do you have secure perimeter fencing? Uh, Am I taking away and clearing out? Everything that could burn or fly through the air, which so is also relevant to a big storm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, a winter storm or a windstorm. And, you know, for people who are not in California, you and I are in California, but for people who are in other parts of the country, a lot of the same factors apply. They may not be concerned about fire running over their property, but big wind events happen in so many parts of the country and actually can do way more damage whether it's it's a just a straight um, from the ground wind event a derecho a tornado hurricanes flying objects are a gigantic hazard to equines and livestock and then mm-hmm. of course here during a fire wind is a really big part of that so i'd like to step back especially being a californian in the middle of summer I always like to step back and ask everyone else to step back for a minute and take yourself out of that fire focused mindset. Fire's Mm -hmm. scary. We're in it, but there are other, other things that we need to be thinking about all the time as well. So it's creating that safe, defensible place where your animals can stay, where you can make sure that they've got water. We need to make sure that we can get feed to them but water is by far the most critical and where they're not going to get out onto the roads where they're going to become a huge hazard not just to themselves but to first responders right and those are the those are the three really big factors
0: and yes yeah, so you might have a really good pen and corral system but if you have to move your horses out of there is your property well protected And then on the waterfront, how much do you suggest having, as far as water, you know, if we have automatic feeders, there's not a whole lot of reservoir in there. So how are, how are you going to prepare for that?
1: So that, that's a three-part question. So number one, the water recommendations are out there and we, we don't suggest, we actually provide people with really solid factual information from Trusted resources like University of California, Davis, mm-hmm. the USDA, agencies that have done the scientific and medical research. So for equines, it's 12 to 20 gallons right. per day per animal. And that's often a shocker to people. So it's wow. 12 to 20 because the the size and condition of each animal is, is a big factor, right. and um, the conditions that they're living in. You know, you're talking to me from Bakersfield, right? right. Correct. That, you know, I grew up in the Central Valley, so <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot hotter where you are during the summer than where I am up in Sonoma County, and you're also in a very um, arid climate, and I'm in a more Mediterranean climate, so we have more humidity. So all of those factors are going to enter into it, but no, your animal and know your environment and the, the environment that they're in. So 12 to 20 gallons per equine per day. Um, livestock is a little bit less than that. And we have all this information on our website. And We can also give you resources for other places to find, find out that, uh, the information that you need about water and feed. And then during an extended power outage, something we have to deal with much more frequently now in California, the new rule of thumb is make sure you have enough water, enough of everything, but really enough water is most important to get you through at least 10 to 12 days. Wow. So an, extent, an extended power outage as in say, uh, the result of a fire or a planned power safety shutoff uh-huh. for those not in, in the West <laughs> now <laughs> know that term. <laughs> that is really going to be, we used to say three to five days and we kind of increased it to five to seven, but 10 to 12 is the baseline. And if we are looking at an after fire situation or earthquake, we can expect, not worry about, but we could expect to be without power for three to four weeks or longer. And I will tell you that in 2017, my own ranch up here in Sonoma County, California, we were without power for 22 days.
0: My goodness.
1: Starting the night of the fire. So it's real.
0: How did you meet your water needs then?
1: So I'll put it this way, we, we were lucky. We, were, we thought we were very well prepared and we learned how much better we could prepare and we're much better prepared now. So how to prepare for that, several things. Number one is add more troughs and tanks. And when you're going into a weather watch situation and out here, that means a red flag or a high or extreme or severe fire danger weather watcher warning. Uh, That means top those tanks off every single day. If you rely on electricity to automatically fill and recharge your tanks and troughs, and you have no power backup, then that means you need to bring in water. You're gonna to have to store it. You have to make sure it's good water. It's gonna be safe water uh-huh. for your animals and for you too, if you're sharing the same water source. And you're going to have to you know, fill those troughs and tanks with your water trailer, your water truck, whatever it is you have. If you have gravity flow, tank. So if you have a pressurized system that relies on gravity and not a pump, that can be impacted. That's actually what happened to us in 2016. Ooh. Something happened that drained our uh, gravity float tanks. Oh. And we were temporarily without water a couple of days after the fire. And we were, we were able to, to remedy that situation, but it, it luck factored into that in a big way. And yeah. now we're prepared for that as well. So our backup plan failed. Our plan B for water failed. So that was a lesson learned. And I've been telling people for a couple of years, have more than one plan for everything. And we did. And our backup failed. And we now have multiple backups for power and water. And while we're talking about plan B and plan C, our um, evacuation plan was not even an option. And so we immediately dove into our plan C, which was our earthquake plan. And that's what saved all our animals and and us in terms of sheltering in place. But for water, you need to be thinking about your storage capacity, but it's right there in the pens, the pastures, the turnouts, your larger water capacity, storage capacity. Where does the water come from that feeds those tanks and troughs? And how does it get there? How is your water delivered to your animals? And is that delivery system going to be safe? So if it's uh, an electric delivery system, do you have solar power backup? Do you have generator? And do you know how to safely um, connect it to your water system? And do you have fuel to run your generator if it's a fuel powered generator? So you need to look at your storage, you need to look at your delivery system, and you need to look at your infrastructure. What powers it? What keeps it all running? And while we're talking about power, think about your fences. If you have electric fences and they are not powered by solar batteries Mm. and your fences are intact, you're going to be okay for a while as long as your animals think that that wire is still hot. Sooner or later, somebody will, you know,
0: test it. Somebody somebody will
1: test it, and somebody will, you know, stick their head under to get that little bit of green grass that just sprouted up because that's where you know your your water is, or that's where you left the hose running while you were hauling water out there. They're going to figure it out. So if your fences are no longer hot, that's something else to think about. So power and the ability to keep your infrastructure safe and working for you is a huge issue for um, equine and livestock
0: owners. So there's a a couple of other resources I want to talk about. In a disaster, there are uh, obviously there are going to be the first responders that are going to be there to help, but they're going to be spread so thin that you might have to rely on your neighbors. How do you set up a neighborhood program that might help you through a disaster?
1: Neighbors to neighbors is a huge thing. And for years, for decades, our um, federal government has actually been encouraging that. And that model of neighbors helping neighbors is such a strong one and, and such a proven model in many parts of the country. But it's really evaporated sadly here in the more populated parts of the West, in California in particular, So very recently, since we have um, experienced so many catastrophic fires and a a nearly catastrophic flood incident um, just in the last few years, our um, state and local governments have started to circle back and say, hey, you know, this centuries-old model of being self-reliant and helping one another in your immediate neighborhood or community is really the lifeline. And so there's been a big reboot of neighborhood organizations, community-based organizations. But in rural areas, you know, what does that mean? You know, you might live on a small ranch, but your closest neighbor is still maybe, you know, a quarter a mile away or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even an eighth of a mile, they're not right next door. You can't walk next door and bang on the door and say, hey, I need you. You can't even get on the phone and call and say, I need you because much of the time, all of our communications are going to be down. So getting to know your neighbors, wherever they are, whoever they are, and Getting to know their animals and their resources and educating them about your resources and introducing them to your animals is often going to be the lifesaver. Right. I have another right, you know, right straight from Sonoma Valley analogy about our own neighborhood in the 2017 fires. So I live in Glen Ellen, our ranch, which is a small ranch by many standards, but It's a ranch that borders Highway 12 and a road called Nuns Canyon Road. So for people in California, they may have heard of the Nuns Fire. That fire started about 300 yards from our property. Not on our property, I'm relieved to say, but (laughs) right next door. And the fire was on us before responders knew there was a fire, before the, the call even went out. Wow. My next-door neighbor, who has a large ranch, a couple thousand acres, and a historic bed and breakfast, who was full of guests that night, and they also have their own um, horses. They had draft horses and pet steers and sheep and lots of dogs and chickens. Hers was the first 911 call, and mine was the second. They were seconds apart, but by, by that time, we were looking at literally a wall of fire. Oh. So throughout the next hours and days, we, um, we actually remained sheltered in place. That's not um, something that we are advocating or advising. She was able to get her family and her children out. She and a couple of her workers remained at their ranch as we did ours. And our properties were actually staging areas for uh, major firefighting resources. So we were allowed to stay there it was safe and we were providing resources for the the service the takeaway here is that as soon as daylight came and we were able to see what was going on we walked over to our neighbors and said are you guys okay we had been more or less in communication throughout the night what do you need and there was our neighbor who has a construction company with his water trailer oh great this is great And he's running around saying where you know where do we need water who needs water and I said, no, well, we're good, but is there anything else you need? And he said, yeah, I'm going to need oil, and I'm going to need fuel really, really quickly for my water rig. So he had the water, we had the fuel and the motor oil.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, chainsaws, same thing. you you got to keep them in working order. So know what your neighbors have. We found out in the moment, and it worked, but now we know. We, we both have um, resource lists. We know who has what,
0: uh-huh.
1: and we also know who the animals are. We actually know each other's animals because we do live on a busy highway and stuff happens, and people drive through fences with alarming frequency. And that's <laughs> every day emergency that we are, are prepared for. Local highway patrol and sheriff usually know exactly whose horses or cattle could be out on the road, and they know exactly who to call to get help to get them back in. So know your neighbors, know what their trucks and trailers are know whether your truck can hook up to their trailer know who their animals are and where they are and will their horses load for you and will your horses load for them so your horses may load perfectly for you into your trailer that they're going down the road in all the time but will they load in someone else's trailer exactly Um, we have situations frequently as members of an animal disaster response team Where we use stock trailers, we have a step-up trailer and we have a trailer with a ramp. We recently had a situation where we went to pre-evacuate, so before uh, a mandatory evacuation, get some little mini donks out, some mini donkeys that we've actually evacuated previously. And the the mom is arthritic and it's a little hard for her to step up in things and it's hard on our backs to lift her and (laughs) lift her so we brought our brand new trailer with a ramp, and guess what, she wasn't having it. She was not have having anything to do with that ramp. Oh no! That's a situation that also comes up frequently with, with horses. They're used to a step up, they don't like that ramp, it looks funny, sounds funny, feels funny, it bounces under them. Training your horses to load in a variety of trailers and for anybody is a really important part of that planning. That circles back to start with your neighbors. You right. know, will my horse load for my neighbor? And can I get his animals loaded? And will his dogs come to me? And what do we do with the livestock guardian dogs? And All of these things are part of country living.
0: One other point that I'd like to make is that when you were telling me the story about the nuns fire, we had done a podcast with Rebecca jimenez Houston yeah. from the Large Animal Technical Rescue, yeah. and she was Good talking friend. about preparedness, and she suggested that people do a drill, in which we did. We have our trailers parked in our, we have a small half-acre lot, three horses on it, but we have a two-horse trailer, and it's parked next to the hay stack, and she suggested that we do a fire drill. So I wanted to see how fast it would take us to load all three horses in the horse trailer, which meant removing the divider, hooking up the trailer, filling the water tank with water, because we usually, for local trips, we don't have it full. And so we ran this drill in the middle of, uh, you know, an afternoon. But when you were telling the story about the, the nuns Fire, you said when the sun came up... And, you know, a lot of times you may have to evacuate at one or two in the morning and your horse may load perfectly well when you're kind of nice and relaxed and you're going to go on a trail ride. But when you have to rush them into that trailer and they get that energy, it might be a different scenario.
1: No, you just nailed it. And we have checklists, and I do a number of PowerPoint presentations where we go through each of those points and Drilling and practicing is a huge part. Practice, practice, practice. But you also touched on a couple of things that um, if if I can, I'd like to review quickly. Loading for anybody in any kind of trailer in a variety of circumstances, including nighttime. So that's usually how we say it succinctly. So you touched on that. The adrenalized situation, that's a huge one. Your animals are on to you. You know, they know. Same thing with your dogs and cats. They're going to go hide. They're going to be hard to catch. They're going to be concerned. A, It feels different. We don't usually go to a show at 2 a.m. And and everything looks different and smells different. Right. But another couple of things that you pointed out, and I'll bet you've taken care of these by now, is that Part of preparing means know when to prepare. And when to prepare is not when you get that evacuation warning. And it's darn sure not when you get the evacuation order. The time to prepare, as I said earlier, is during those weather warnings and watches. And we like to say that you need to be ready to go the minute the red flag goes up. When we are in a red flag event, when we get that red flag alert, from the National Weather Service, and from the fire service, that's when we should be ready to go. That means that the trailer is not parked next to the hay. A. Right. <laughs> <I'm sure> Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca probably beat you up for that. <laughs> the trailer is hooked up to your truck, which has a full tank of gas. You've gone through your whole safety checklist. You know Everything is ready to go. Your personal protective equipment is on the front seat. You've got extra halters and lead ropes. The water tank is full. Your animal ready kits are already loaded or they are right next to the barn door, ready to grab and go. And your animals are all in a place where they're going to be easy to catch and move quickly. So if they live in big pastures, what we do is we have small catch pens. We bring them into those catch pens on red flag days, and that's where they hang out. If your animals normally live in a barn, that means you have turned them out of their stalls Mm -hmm. into their turnout runs or into your arena or your round pen or whatever you have that is safe in case something happens in a hurry because you do not want them in the barn. You close the doors to the barn or the barn stall doors if your barn is open at both ends, Okay. in other words, everything and everybody is ready to go right. when we moved our horses from their pastures our horses all live outside and they were in pastures they were in the bottom part of the pastures because earlier that day conditions were scary so we we shut off their access to the higher reaches of the ranch which is um, in the woods so they're all down low where we could get them quickly it took seven minutes for us to catch and relocate nine equines. That includes one mule. So that's catch everybody and get them to the arena, which was mm, the furthest location is probably about 200 yards from the arena, but seven uh-huh. minutes for nine equines. That's not including the cats and the dogs, but you cannot wait until you're in that emerging situation. So drilling, practicing around our ranch, when there's a red flag, we have fire drills. We run through all of our checklists. We practice, uh, we might pull up a trailer and load everybody and hang out for a while. I practice with the cats. We do everything. We do absolutely right. everything. We call neighbors, we check in with each other. And that's something that has taken a long time, but my neighborhood is very rural on one side of the highway. And it's quite suburban on the other side of the highway. And I have a relationship with neighbors in several large homeowners associations. And we have a phone tree and I contact them and then they contact their people. So we're connected in many ways. And it's not perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better. And practice, practice, practice. Thank you for bringing it up. It's, it can make the difference between life and death truly that sounds dramatic but it's the truth
0: yeah we were uh, we were sitting around the house and I said let's try it go and how
1: long did it take you It took us
0: to get to pull out of the gate it took us 12 minutes
1: Well that's impressive and that's at night. That was it. No, that
0: was during oh, the, okay. that was during the day, and we keep a lot of our first aid. I keep a lot of first aid stuff in the trailer, so that's already there. And the hardest part was just removing the divider because you learn that that thing can get a little bit sticky. So uh, remember to apply oil to that, so that when yep. we have to pull that divider out, it's just not like, gosh, now I got to get a hammer. And then we worked as a team, my wife and I. She was getting the horses. I hooked up the trailer. We plugged the hose in, and we were pulling out in twelve minutes, which, you know, was pretty. I thought was pretty good. That's really impressive. Yeah.
1: But as you said, that was the perfect circumstance. That was the, the perfect scenario. That was the best case scenario. So yeah, imagine that it's dark, you have been awakened out of a sound sleep, so you're foggy and groggy, but your heart is pumping really fast. Your hands might be shaking, despite your best efforts to calm yourself. You could be walking, well in Bakersfield, you probably would be walking into really, really hot wind blowing 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. In our case, we had hurricane force winds, which was a very terrifying experience, I Uh have to say. Can Hurricane force winds flying firebrands at you. And that was the, the moment in which I truly understood and, and experienced what, what a firebrand is and what ambercast is. Until you live it and experience it, you don't really know how terrifying it is.
0: Just let me make one more point, too. From talking to you, I've learned that even though we did that fire drill, Sometimes we're so busy taking care of our animals that that 12 minutes didn't include any of us grabbing water for ourselves, food for ourselves, a couple of pieces of clothing or any of that go bag stuff that you really need to have. So just from talking to you, I'm going, yeah, I got the animals out safe, but if I don't take care of myself... There's no not gonna be a lot of people gonna be around to take care of them. So
1: exactly. Bingo. You just it, it's the oxygen mask speech. If you aren't safe, you can't keep anybody else safe. Right. And that includes your animals. So it starts with you. Your prep starts with you, your go bags, your stay crates, those are the supplies that are packed for your shelter in place situations, and your personal protective equipment. When we're talking about fire flood winter storm you absolutely cannot go out your door without ppe and you know horse people we're all really casual especially as western horse people a lot of mm-hmm. us didn't grow up wearing riding helmets you know we don't want to you know take the time but it's non negotiable you have to have the things you need to stay safe and well before you can take care of everybody else period right. and that means all that stuff your basic PPE, your um, eye protection, your goggles, your work gloves, an extra pair of boots if necessary, um, a hard hat or a helmet, even if it's a riding helmet. All those things need to be right there in the front seat of your truck for you and your partner or teammate or family members so that you don't even have to think about where did I leave them? Where did right. I have them on? Yeah. Your supplies and your ready kits, if they're not already in the truck and trailer, they need to be where you can grab and go right there you're not going to have time to go through your checklist but having a checklist that's taped to the door or uh, you know that you've left on the front seat of the truck so you can glance at it and say you know did i get this do i have the flashlight am i wearing my headlamp headlamp is huge but it's also important to remember if you're wearing a headlamp which is a a great help because it leaves your hands free you're not holding a flashlight and trying Uh to juggle your lead ropes. But also remember, get a headlamp that you can focus so that you're not aiming right at your animals or your partner's eyes. And that's a really, really big one with horses because their vision takes much longer than hours to adjust. So headlamps, really important piece of equipment. Make sure you're using them safely around your horses
0: great and speaking of checklists and resources your website the
1: halterproject.org
0: right it has a lot of resources i was looking through there there's pdfs there's there's checklists there's all kinds of really good stuff tell us a little bit about the halter project and what you guys provide and is it all free it everything is
1: free our primary mission is to provide individuals and communities with necessary education and resources to be safer in emergencies and disasters, with the emphasis on people with animals. So, animals in our world includes pets, equines, livestock, and backyard livestock, which includes your poultry. We're all about <laughs> chickens these days. I want to throw that in because uh, there's practically no no home or horse place around that doesn't come with chickens these days. And yes. Uh, chickens chickens are included they're members of the family. The halter project was started in 2013 and our goal at that time was strictly to focus on what's called large animal technical rescue or animal technical rescue and the people who are generally trained to do that are firefighters search and rescue people with technical rope skills who already understand the basics of rescuing a person getting them off the edge of a cliff or out of a hole or out from under a building or mm-hmm. out of a vehicle. And you take those technical responder skills and modify them and apply them to large animals. And actually, Rebecca, Dr. Um, Jimenez-Husted, is one of the leaders in the United States in developing
0: She's that type
1: of training. So we jumped into that. We got into that in a big way. And um, within two years of starting the program, we had created a training program that had trained over 220 local firefighters and other responders and some some horse owners and a handful of veterinarians. Then uh, a leader in the fire service asked if I would work with them to develop a community education program for disaster preparedness. And I started researching my area and I realized there was basically just nothing. There was no information for animal owners, not for pet owners, not for large animal owners, nothing in my immediate area. But I was blessed and I had a lot of great mentors and and connected with a lot of great teachers. And so very quickly in mid 2014, we ramped up our community preparedness program. And so the Halter Project does two things, both with the emphasis on animals and animal owners. And essentially, our primary goal is to deliver free education and training resources to help people be better prepared for emergencies and disasters, especially when it comes to taking care of the animals. Local emergency, large-scale disaster, first responder, or you know, neighborhood backyard horse owner or facility manager, or stable owner. We we want to make that information available to everybody. And so there are many areas that are not well served. It, communications are difficult, people aren't connected. And so a big part of what we do is try to make information available in a bunch of different ways. So you mentioned our website, we do have a lot of technical resources there, but we also have a lot of videos. We have a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. and on our YouTube channel, we have many, many, I think really fabulous videos, some of which I've prepared. We have a whole series of preparedness videos, different topics and different species. We have a series of videos called horse handling for firefighters, and that was developed to supplement the California Fire Marshals training curriculum for first responders and animal technical rescue. And we also have, we feature a lot of presentations by renowned speakers from around the country and around the world on a number of topics. Uh, We have a lot of equine practitioners, uh, the renowned Dr. John Madigan, Dr. Elizabeth uh, Woolsey from Australia, Mm -hmm. uh, Becky McConico from Louisiana. So we have some amazing veterinary specialists who are delivering great presentations on a variety of topics related to mostly equines, but all animals in emergencies and disasters. We also go to lots and lots and lots of events with handouts. And I have people now requesting handouts, um, which we will send to them. We'll print and send materials to local nonprofits who are doing community outreach. Great. We just try to put the information into people's hands any and every way that we can.
0: Well, that's great. You know, and that's what this particular episode is designed to do as well, is to try and get people a little bit more aware about something that we don't really think enough about. And it's really been great to have you on the show. I've learned a whole lot. I'm going to keep on practicing. Well, you did your homework,
1: so I'm impressed. You're a good role model. And I, <laughs> I hope that all your listeners, our listeners, you know, can catch something. And by all means, write to me with your questions. I answer emails. You can write to me at rescue at halterfund.org. And you can also get that contact information at our website, which is halterproject.org.
0: Great. And I'll have all those links in the show notes at willpodcast.com.
1: John, thanks so much for having me. And uh, to all your listeners, just stay safe. Do what you can. Every, everything you do will make a difference.
0: I really appreciate it, Julie. With all the craziness of the last 18 months, perhaps the last thing you may want to think about is preparing for an emergency. But crap is going to happen whether we're ready for it or not. You don't have to get the whole plan in place by next weekend, but I encourage you to take a step at starting to build your plan. Check out some of the resource materials at halterproject.org. If money is an issue, do the things that don't cost anything first. Have a fire drill. Pretend your horses are under attack by a natural disaster. What would you do? And once you get an idea for what you need, buy a few supplies at a time. For example, we picked up supplies for our first aid kit one month, then reflective vests and trailer reflectors the next. Pretty soon, you have a full kit and you've got things pretty well lined out. Thanks to Julie Atwood for raising awareness about this issue and for creating such a comprehensive resource at halterproject.org. To see the show notes with links and photos, go to woepodcast.com. If you would like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest a guest, I'd love to hear it. Send an email to john at woepodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name woe podcast. I'd love to hear from you stay safe and healthy. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Harris saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.